Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little different today. I'm going to be more in a teaching mode than a preaching mode. Is that okay? Okay. I hope so. Somebody said no. Um, well, sorry. And uh, <clears throat> so what I want to do today is I want to cover ground because how many of you know that you can lose focus if you're not careful? You start out on a good thing. So how many of those New Year's resolutions from last year did you complete this, this year that you said in January, I'm going to do these things. And in December, I'm going to accomplish all of these things. Anybody? None, right? Why? How many of you use the gym membership? How many of you have canceled that gym membership that you started in January? You know what I mean? Because a lot of times what happens is we start out with good intentions and we can get off track. We can become, I would like to say, we just need to refocus. Refocus on what is it that we do? Why are we here? And one of the things I want to say as a church is we have a building. This is a big, big win for us this year. Would you agree? It's changed some things. My mic's going to change too, I guess. I don't know. There, where, where, there. That's a new sound effect we're working on. Um, so a lot of things change uh, with a building, but, but here's, here's what I want to give a, a very big warning to. Uh, we've never been called to build buildings. It's not what we've been called to do. So I don't want us to get to a place to say, well, we've made it. We, we have a building, and our next thing is to expand it. No, no, no. We're not trying to grow buildings. We've been called to disciple and grow people. That's what's important. Because if we don't get that, this is just another building. This is just another group of people that just casually meet on Sunday. We say a few things. We read the scripture. We sing a few worship karaoke songs, and we go about our day. But it's always been more than that. Jesus never called us to build the church. He said that he would build the church. What he's asked us to do was to go and make disciples. And if we will make disciples, guess what? He is good on his promise to build his church. And that's what we want to be focused on. And so this year, what our, or in 2024, our goal as a church, um, and my goal as your pastor is to lead you, um, I want to lead you in the word. We're, yeah, because here's the thing, y'all. Here's the thing about the church. And I know you'd say, well, you're pastor, and that your job to lead us through the word. But what, here's what I'm saying. I don't want to just teach it. I want you to live it. I want you to feel it. I want you to understand it. I want it to be your lifeblood. Because churches don't grow if you don't have movement. And the word of God and the spirit of God is the fuel that gets us to where we need to be in the relationship with him. And if you're disconnected from the word, you're disconnected from the body. And if you're disconnected from the body, you're disconnected from Jesus. And I don't want that for you. Because I believe that when Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he's come to give us a life and a life that's more abundant than anything we could ever ask or imagine, that's what he says in Ephesians. I believe that. And I believe that for you. And I believe that he wants more for you. Not more like he wants to give you all these blessings and give you a bank account that's full of money. No, I think he wants you to take all of the presence that he has and just spend time in his presence, spend time in his word so that your life can change. And that's my heart. And so we're going to do that in a couple of ways this year. Number one, uh, we're going to be very intentional uh, getting you through the Word. So our, uh, over the last few months, I have worked on our sermon series from January to December of next year. I can tell you what we're going to preach on and the outlines on those things. 
we're going to start in Genesis. That's a pretty good starting place, right? So next weekend, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, dot, dot, dot. And then when we finish next Christmas, we will have Christmas in the book of Revelation. Did y'all know there's a Christmas story in Revelation? Revelation chapter 12. It's probably one of my favorite ones because it involves dragons. There's a big dragon. So if your manger scene doesn't involve a dragon, it's not biblically accurate, okay? So just want you to know. So we're, we're going to cover the whole spectrum. But not just, so, so understand, this isn't just about preaching it and you coming in and you hear we go through the word together all of next year. But there's going to be weekly things that we're going to give you. There's going to be resources we're going to give you. There's going to be Bible reading plans that we want you to get in. We're going to encourage you to get into groups. We're going to encourage you to start D groups. Some of you don't know it, but next year you're going to start a life group in your home or in a coffee shop. Some of you don't know it, but you're going to start D groups. Some of you don't know it, but you're going to take some kind of big next step next year because God's going to, I believe that when you get in his word, you begin to be obedient to that when you truly get into it. And so I want, to, I want us to look at this morning what we are as a church. I want, to, I want to refocus where we are. And I've spent some time over the last um, go figure. There we go. It works when you practice, and then it doesn't when you need it. And so I want to talk about our mission and vision as a church. So what, when we first started in 2019, which is hard to believe, because honestly, y'all, I didn't think we would get to December of 2019 and still be a church, because I didn't think anybody would show up. Um, and, and you did, and you keep coming back. Uh, so keep that going. That, that'll be good. But in 2019, I sat down with a gentleman named Dan Greider, who uh, was coaching and mentoring us, and he's still one of our uh, accountability pastors for our church today. And he said, one of the most important things you can do in church planning, and I started giving him all kinds of, well, I think one of the most important things we need to do is uh, giving campaigns or uh, marketing. And he goes, no, 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 because your job's not to build a church. You need to build a disciple. But what you need to do is you need to spend those first few years just like cement. When you pour cement, once that begins to dry, that foundation's done, right? And in order to fix it, once it dries, anybody ever have to fix it once it dries? It's a mess, isn't it? I mean, there's some construction guys in here that love it when you mess that up because it's job money for them to come and rip it all out to start over. So what we want to do before the cement dries with us, we want to make sure that we have the firm foundation that we need as a church. And we've been in an ebb and flow for the last few years. Uh, I remember we, we uh, picked the most convenient time to launch a church, which was in, which was in 2019 of uh, November. We officially went public. And then in March of 2020, the world shut down um, with this little thing called COVID. And then we said, we're going to take two weeks and flatten the curve. And uh, well, yeah, there's that. And so we, we, every time that we've tried to move forward, there's always been something, but the gospel never stopped and Jesus continued to sustain us through those things. Y'all remember when we did drive-through communion? Gretchen, where are you at? Gretchen said, what can I do? I said, we need grape juice. The world was sold out of grape juice, so Gretchen brings back Kool-Aid jammers. Our church literally got you to drink the Kool-Aid during the pandemic. Like We, had, we were not going to be stopped from doing what God had called us to do. There was no pandemic that was going to get in the way. There was no issue that was going to get in the way. We were going to continue to pursue to do ministry. And some of you did not become a part of our church until after that in 2020. Could you imagine Have we just said, oh, it's a good run, guys. We got to be done with this. And, and we're just, we just going to sell out. But because of the faithfulness of people in the church and believing that we have been called to something bigger than, than we are, look at where we are. Not there yet. 
Not there yet. I do not want us to get comfortable. This is not a time to pull off the highway and just sit and enjoy the scenery. Because we have, there are still lost people in this, in this community. There are still lost people in this room. There are still people that have never fully surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus. And until that happens, our job is never done. So let me tell you what our vision is. Um, you you got to have some type of vision to know why, why are we, what are we looking towards? What are we looking for? So we would say here that we are, we are a community, because I, I want to use that word, right? Because communities are powerful, are they not? Communities stick together, they help each other, they, they always bonding around one another. When, when things are going bad, the community's there. When things are going good, when things happen in community, there's help. It's supposed to be help, when it's a healthy community, right? Our community here, Together Church, seeks to glorify God because at the end of the day, if we're not pointing to Jesus, then we're not doing church. You agree with me? If you walk out of here talking about some spectacle that we did and not about Jesus, then you've missed the point, and we've done an awful job of trying to present Jesus in a clear, practical way to you. So we, we glorify God by surrendering to Jesus, because you cannot truly glorify God if you've not surrendered your life to him, because he's not in control. He's not the Lord of your life, and if he's not the Lord of your life, he's not Lord of anything for you. And so we are a community that seeks to glorify God by surrendering Jesus, making disciple, making disciples, Right? What is a disciple? It's a student that learns, and we teach, and you disciple. But see, God told you, and Jesus told you in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. So I don't want us to get so comfortable in our Bible studies, because some, sometimes we'll get so much in this and think, man, I can quote the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I can tell you the Hebrew and the Greek. I am so honored, and nobody's on my level. Listen, if you feel that way, you need to be discipling people for sure, right? And, and this is not an elite group. Can we just agree that we're not an elite church in any spectrum? I don't care where people are. I don't care where your spirituality is. It doesn't put you at a higher level than everybody else. Because I just have to think, what would Paul have done when he first met Timothy and was like, nah, that dude's not in the same ballpark as I am. I'm not going to worry about discipling him. I'm not going to worry about you know, Peter. I'm not going to worry about Barnabas. Those guys just aren't where I'm at, so I can't. Discipleship is surrendering to the obedience of Jesus and making disciples of all people, no matter where they are. So we want to be disciple-making disciples in transforming communities because I believe that when the power and the Word of God gets into somebody, it goes through somebody. But it's got to get to them, right? So with that, we have decided that this is the mission for our church. And this is, I, I want you to, we're going to see this a lot this year. We're going to learn how to say it together. This is going to be our mantra. But together church, okay, I want to run you through a few things. That number one, together church is a movement. Why would we say a movement? Because the church has been called to do what? To go, right? And you can't be the church if you're just here. If you're just sitting. So we, we've been called. I know you look real fancy drawing on the board. I get it. We moved up in the world, everybody. But together, church is a movement. We don't believe in stagnation. That's because we don't believe that we're, we've made it because we have a building. 
There are still, again, people still lost. People still need to be discipled. And we're a movement for who? This is important for you, for all people. Remember what we talked about just last week in Christmas when the shepherds heard from the angel. He says, that I, I bring you joy. I bring you good news for who? All people. All people. Not just one group of people or just one skin tone or just one financial class or one socioeconomic group for all people, everybody. And what we want to do is be a movement for all people to live out because I believe that when you are a movement for all people and God's doing something in you, that he's given you a God-given calling that you need to live out. That doesn't mean that your calling is necessary to do what I do and work in the church, but you have a God-given calling where you live, where you work, and where you play. And so there's a movement for all people to live out their God-given calling. And, and the only way to know this is to spend time with him and to know what it is that he's called you to as we follow Jesus. Wouldn't you agree that's important? Not just know him, but follow him. Because let me tell you, you can know of him because the demons know of him. They follow him? No. But when you follow somebody, you really know them. Think about your sports teams, right? You know, you know the players, you know the numbers, you know the record. Am I right? And you follow them differently. That's why you'll go paint your chest. You'll go, your wardrobe is garnet and black and orange and purple, which doesn't really match. And then you got your scarlet red and your grays and, you know, and listen, I don't want to forget my Michigan friends, but your blue and your yellow. Um, so let me not forget you. And yes, we did intentionally forget Alabama. And so we follow Jesus and we make disciples. We make disciples. Where do we make them? Everywhere. Everywhere. Even in Walmart. We make them everywhere because we've not been called to a specific place. We've been called everywhere. Well, what about missions, international missions? When we go on international missions, do we have places? We go everywhere. If, hey, if God's calling you and saying, I feel like I need to go to Poland, then you come and talk. Let's, let's figure out how to get you to Poland to go live out your God-given calling to make disciples there. Because people in Poland, people in Jamaica, people in America all go to the same hell when they die. And I've heard people go, I don't, I don't even know how y'all justify going to Jamaica. Um, because people in Jamaica go to hell. That's how. And so what, what we do is we believe that we are a movement for all people to live out their God-given callings as they follow Jesus and make disciples everywhere. One of the greatest things that I get to do in my job, my seat, is I get to see people who realize God's called me to something, God's gifted me in a way, and then they begin using that. And, it, and half the time, the ministry doesn't even happen here. It's happening outside of here. And, and it's, it's incredible because the church doesn't get any glory for it. Who's getting the glory for it? Jesus is. And you're realizing that, hey, I can, I can do all these things outside of here that God's empowered me, God's gifted me to do those things. That's our mission. So through our gatherings as a church family and our individual callings, our goal is disciple people to a vibrant and alive relationship with Jesus. And until we have it, we can't tell other people about it. So we've got to get on the same page. Everybody with me? So how do we do that? Well, let me give you some distinctives. This is what we want to work, work towards. There are four, I think there are four, if you go through Scripture, and I'll give you the Scriptures, there are four marks of a disciple, okay? And what that's going to be 
is what should it look like at Together Church? Well, we would say this. Can everybody on that side of the room see this screen, by the way? Okay, good. I didn't, because in just a minute, you're going to have an opportunity to judge me on my handwriting. I just want to make sure that you're good. Mark number one, to be a disciple is to be a spirit-led follower. Like, I, there's a lot of times that I want to do things, and so I'll follow my direction, and I get in a, in a big mess. Anybody have that problem? Like, I know what Jesus says, but I think I, I need to do this instead, and I'll just suffer it. And then our distinctive is that we are to be spirit-led followers. No decisions are made until we go to the Spirit. We go to God and say, listen, I'm praying about it. I want to hear what you have to say about it. That's our personal decisions on our very basis as a, as a church body that we spend time praying over decisions. Now, I'm not saying that the church is going to be praying over what, ne- what coffee pot we're buying next. I don't think God cares what kind of coffee pot we have. But hey, if we're going to make big spiritual decisions, we're going to spend time praying. And we're going to spend more time praying about things than we are about talking about them and arguing about them. Any, anybody there? I've seen churches, uh, I was on a staff uh, years ago, that for three weeks they argued over a coffee pot. <laughs> coffee pot. Three weeks. There were emails. There were memos. There were texts. There were more emails. There were meetings. And then finally a vote to buy the $75 coffee pot. It's like, how many people cared? I, like, I was willing just to give $75 to stop the emails at that point. We don't want to be putting all of our weight into those things of making those decisions. What we want to spend all of our time and efforts doing is how can we equip the church to be the church? So a spirit-led follower does this. You walk with Jesus daily. This isn't a every once in a while thing. You anchor your life to God's word and you hear and you follow the spirit. So a lot of times people will come to me and say, hey, can I do this? Well, what did the spirit tell you? Well, I feel like the Spirit's leading me to do it. Then go do it. You don't need my word. My word's not better than the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Thank you. Because he's, he's not. So I want you to hear and follow the Spirit. And we're going to teach you how to do that. Um, there we go. I feel like Vanna White. So look what, we get this from Galatians chapter 5, right? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church of Galatians. He says this, if we live by the Spirit, Okay, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, let me break this down for you, that this word live means that there's an obedience already there, right? That I understand God's standard, I understand what God wants for me, and so if if we live that way, if I'm being obedient to it, if I'm living by the Spirit, then I also need to keep in step with the Spirit. This word step means cadence. Think about, you guys don't, you guys can't hear it, but when the worship team's up here, they have these headphones in their ear, okay? What, what's going on in their head is different from what you hear out here, because what you hear out here is music, right? They hear this. I mean, we could put that in the house if you guys would like to hear it, but I think every one of them would tell you, this right here gets on their last nerve. It's hard for them to hear and worship sometimes because all they hear is this. What is this? Metronome. It is keeping cadence. Because what happens is we don't want RJ to go rogue on his bass and start playing notes that we're not supposed to be. And then our singers are singing something completely different. And then everything's out of whack. When everybody is in step together, in the same cadence together, it's a lot more beautiful, isn't it? 
and it's a lot easier for you to follow. Oh, (laughs) whoa, whoa, let me say that again. When you are in cadence with the Spirit, it's a lot easier for other people to follow. And so he says, if you live by the Spirit, if you're obedient to the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This means that sometimes the Spirit's going to tell you to step somewhere. You're like, whoa, I don't know about this. But you just have to take a step out in faith and trust that it's going to be there. Because I can tell you this, I have years of doing this and years of just following Jesus. If he says step, there's going to be a step there even if you don't see it. This is why he tells us to walk by faith, not by sight, right? So he says, if we live by the Spirit, then we need to walk by the Spirit. This is all about obedience. It's not obedience to me. It's not obedience to the church. It's obedience to the Father. And if we can be obedient to him, then we realize that he has good things for us. He wants more for us. He wants us to use all of the, all the giftings that he's given us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to everybody that's here. So we've got to be in step with the Spirit. Also, you need to be an intentional friend. That word is very intentional. Because we have friends, but how many of your friends, your circle of friends, are you really intentional with? Checking in, praying for, encouraging, sharing your scriptures with. An intentional friend is always looking for a way to care for other people. Let me just say this. I think our church does a really good job of this. Because I'll find out about needs that have already been met before I even find out about them. Taking care of people. Now, we're not perfect at it. We got work to do. But I think we're in a really good place when it comes to care in our church. Would you all agree with me on that? If I missed something. But we are in a loving, caring church. And I hear testimony all the time of people coming and saying, can I tell you what, what they did or what this group did? or who?" And it's always being intentional, finding ways to serve. Now, when we talk about this intentional friend, we get it from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus passed on from there, and he sees a man called Matthew. Matthew's sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose, and he followed him. Let me just ask this question. Matthew, who is Matthew, anybody? He's a tax collector. Matthew is the absolute lowest of the lows on the totem pole of people because he's Jewish, working for the Roman government, and ripping people off. He is the modern-day... IRS, okay? Um, no offense to the IRS. Christmas cards in the mail. But he says, and as Jesus, what is that word? Jesus reclines. I'm, hey, listen, I'm all about church and reclining. If we, you know, we can recline. To recline at the table was to accept the person. Now, Jesus is sitting at the table of a person who's been outcasted by his own people group, by the Jews, didn't want to have anything to do with him. And Jesus calls him in. And now Jesus is reclining at the table in a way of saying, hey, I accept you. And he said, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. Many tax collectors and sinners came. And they were also reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, it's a great story. But there have been modern versions of this that I have seen play out in churches, and churches get ridiculed for tax collectors and sinners showing up. Ridiculed, crucified. Can't believe you'd let that person in the church. 
can't believe that they, they would come. Those people, I've heard that language used before. Why would they come? Why would those people come to our church? Like the bigger question is, why are you in the church? That's what I want to know. Because Jesus was not afraid to meet people where they were and how they were. We are all broken. Just some of us do a much better job of hiding it than others. But we're all broken people. We all have our faults. We all have our sin. We all have our vices. Do you agree with me on that? It makes it a lot better to reach people when we never forget where we came from. You did not want to be around me in college. I was a know-it-all. Because I took a Bible class, and I thought I knew more than everybody else. And I was the legalist of legalists. And you can't do that because God's going to hate you. Can't believe you would smoke a cigar. God, I mean, you, that smoke should remind you of the smoke that's coming from hell. That's, <laughs> that's kind of where, where my heart was. Jesus accepted people where they were and loved them to where they needed to be. Let me change it this way. He accepted people where they were and discipled them to where they should be. Discipleship takes action. It takes skin. It means getting down in the trenches with people. Because wouldn't you agree that some people are hard to love? It is. But we've all been there. And you never can forget where you were. So you've got to be intentional. Because here's what I'm telling you. Matthew would have been the absolute last person that, Jesus, that you would have thought Jesus would have picked. And it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I would love for people to ask that question about our church. Why do you let sinners there? Why do you let the modern day tax collectors in? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Too often we treat the church like a country club and not a hospital. Because a country club, you have rights because you pay. A hospital, you sacrifice. You sacrifice for other people. We have nurses in this room who have given up time with their family. And they, they even lived through 2020 with COVID, which was probably one of the worst restrictions they had in their life. But they made sacrifices to make sure that our family stays well and healthy. How many nurses do we have in the room? You understand that your job is not to walk in there and go, oh man, you're sick. Like, healthy people don't show up to the hospital. Like, this is the refuge, y'all. This is the place. The church is the place. But we have sick people who are scared to come here because we're not going to care for them. We're going to judge them and just push them away and ignore their diagnosis. And now I'm just talking about the church in general. But when he heard it, he says, I'm, I'm here. I have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, that's who I'm here for. Let me tell you, when we talk about these intentional friendships, when we say intentional friend, an intentional friend does a couple of things. An intentional friend uh, loves you where you are. This is not a, this is not a, I love you where you are, um, but you don't have to change, but I love you where you are, and this isn't a, hey, I'm going to love you, but I need you to come up to my level before I can love you. That's not being intentional. So being an intentional friend means we love you where you are. And if you love people where they are, then you're going to have to share 
We don't like this word. Truth. Now, some of us are really good. If I just left it there, we'd be really good at sharing truth, right? But there's a caveat to that. You got to share truth in love. And, and who is love, by the way? Because First John tells us it's God. God is love. You got to share truth in love. I would even say a, a friend not only loves where you are, they also love how you are. Like I, and you're not where you're not where you you need to be, but we're gonna get you on the path with Jesus so He can get you where you need to be. We're gonna be the carrier. An intentional friend restores you when you mess up. Anybody have one of those? Anybody have any mess-ups this year? You, you, you find out who your true friends are in the mess-ups, by the way. You find out your people in the mess-ups. You find out the people that just want information in the mess-ups, and then you find out the people that really want to help you through the mess-up. Yeah, let me tell you about it. They restore you. It doesn't excuse your sin, but by restoration, what I'm talking about is they point you to Jesus, and they, they restore you through your mess-ups. And here's the most important thing of an intentional friend, because if you're not doing this, you're not, you're not really being friendly, but a friend shares Jesus. You share Jesus because, you know, if Jesus is the most important thing that you've ever experienced and he's life-changing for you, why would you not share that? I can go to restaurants and I can, I can tell you my favorite restaurant. I can tell you everything about why it's my favorite restaurant. And if I go to a good restaurant, I'm going to tell you. Like, I think it's important. You should know that this restaurant is dominant. It's the best, right? I was on a Taco Bell thing for a while. It was, it was there. And I shared, everybody should go get this food, right? But then my standards have been risen. And, uh, but we, we share everything that's not important, but the most important thing we share, and that should be Jesus. An intentional friend shares Jesus. I'd say it this way too, is that I earn the right to share the gospel when I share my life with people. Nobody cares what I have to say until they know that I actually care, Right? So we have to be intentional with our friendships. We don't treat people as projects. So don't do that. Like, well, I tried to share the gospel. They don't want to have anything to do with it, so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. That's not the way that works. We build relationships with people. So an intentional friend. Do you all have any of those intentional friends? All right, here's, here's the next thing. I'm going to run this a little faster here. You need to be a humble guide that... A humble God takes every opportunity to help people take their next step to follow Jesus. What is the next thing that you need to do? What is, what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do right now? Because everybody in the room has a next step in their relationship with Jesus, right? Everybody. So what are we doing to take every opportunity to help people do that? Being a humble God means that we're also being intentional with the relationships and the circle of impact that we have around us. How am I helping? How am I praying for? How am I encouraging? What am I doing to help move the gospel forward with the people that God has entrusted me to be around? With that, I want to read you Ephesians because I think this is super important. We, we've heard this verse before. But it says, He himself gave some to be apostles. So there's some apostles, there's some prophets, there's some evangelists, there's some pastors, 
and there's some teachers, okay? So what the Bible tells us here is that God has given people to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, all right? I would call these mentors. And what do these mentors do? To equip, to equip the saints. So there's an equipping that happens for the saints, for the work of the ministry, okay? For the work of the ministry until we all reach unity in the faith. Notice that it's not saying until you. It's, it's, a, it's a cohesive unification here. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And what do we, what do we mean with that verse? Let me show you something real quick that I think. I love this. Um, anybody know what this little symbol is right here? These symbols? Commas. Okay, I, was, I got a little concerned for just a second there. Um, got to be honest. And so why that's important, those commas, because I've always read that, that when we, when we look at that passage, right, there are three words that, that appear. And those three words being this, um, that we just said. You have a mentor, right? What was the next word? Ministry? It's good. You're on it, though. And then what was the other one? There's a maturity, right? Let me tell you why this is important with those commas. Because a lot of times what we say is, hey, I'm going to help disciple you, but you don't get ministry, because we, we like to do it like this. We like to say that, hey, we'll, we'll disciple, mentor, to maturity, and then you can do ministry. Where does, the, where does the maturity come from? Why have we gotten that so backwards? Well, you're not good enough to do that yet. It's amazing. The U.S. government will trust an 18-year-old with an army tank. And we're so scared to let our students even run the monitors or the screens or to help lead their own age group in a disciple group because we say they're not here yet. If you're discipling this way, you're not discipling. If you're not empowering, because people aren't going to always do things the way that you do them. And they're going to do them differently. And some people are going to do them better. This is why you get a brand new set of golf clubs for Christmas, and you think it's going to improve your game, and it doesn't improve your game. And then you sell them in a yard sale, and you find out the guy that bought them is having an extravagant golf game all of a sudden. <laughs> because in the right hands, it does something. We disciple people, we have ministry opportunities for them to be able to serve and to grow, and that produces the maturity. We are not waiting for you to mature before you serve. Nobody is qualified on their own merit. We're all qualified through who? So why don't we serve that way? Y'all getting what I'm saying? We're doing church different. We're doing it by the book, literally by the book. Your maturity will come through serving through serving other people, through serving in the local church, through serving outside of here. There's a maturity. But we oftentimes try to put maturity before ministry, and those commas are so, so, so very important. Look at this, and, I'll, and we're going to get ready to, to move out of here. But 
The last thing is, the fourth trait, is you need to be a force for good. You become a force for good. You do a force for good where you live, where you work, and where you play. That's the place you have the most influence, right? I can walk into your office tomorrow, and I can start talking to people. I do not have the same influence that you do. You've been there. The people that have been there the longest have the most influence, whether positive or negative, right? So we've been called to be a force for good. Where did we get that? Well, we get that from Matthew. Matthew says, you are the salt of the earth. I read this this week, thought it was really good, but it's really hard to be salt if we continue to sugarcoat everything. Chew on that for a second. Put that in your stocking. Let's see what happens. We ain't sugarcoating anything. Jesus was brutally murdered on a cross for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. We ain't sugarcoating that. Ain't sugarcoating. Some of your friendships, you need to stop sugarcoating and start telling the truth to help them. Because where there is no truth, there is no love. But balance that with grace. So don't go too crazy. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon people's feet. In other words, you lost your taste. And you're the light of the world. Did you catch that? You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You go to Israel, and you sit on the Sea of Galilee. By the way, I'd love for you to come with us in December of next year. And you sit on the, the shorelines of Galilee at night. And all you see are little specks of light up in the hillsides. And all you can think is a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You had to think when Jesus was speaking this, this is what he's seeing. And he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who's in heaven. It doesn't mean that you go, hey, look at me. Look what I've done. Look at all the awesome stuff I've done. Hey, look at our church. Look at all the cool things we've done. What it means is, hey, look what God did through us. Look at what he did. Look what he did. Because when people place hope in our church, they get failure. When they place hope in Jesus, they get everything they need. We have to point to the right place. And he says that in the same way, you got to let your light shine before others. If you're being a spirit-led follower you're being a humble God, you're being intentional, and you're being a force for good, this naturally happens. Because people will come to you often when things aren't going right because they want to know, because they seek light. How do we do this? Real quick, we want everybody at Together Church to participate in three ways. Joining us here on Sunday mornings. This is important. Gathering together as a body is important. Paul said, do not forsake the gathering. We want you to find a regular connection point. I'm going to give you two of those here in just a second. But you got to find a place that's regular. That means be consistent. A regular connection point needs to be found. And then by spreading the gospel in your own unique circle of impact. Your circle of impact looks completely different from mine. Matter of fact, oftentimes your circle of impact has way more influence and way more opportunity than mine does. Because when people hear pastor in my name, they typically shut the conversation out. I mean, it works. To my, I've played golf with some guys that weren't Christians that use foul language, and I'd be like, oh, man, I hadn't, hadn't heard my congregation say that. And they're like, oh, you're a pastor? Yeah. Boom. And they become saints. They don't let me win, but they become saints. And so we spread in the circle of impact the, the two connection points. Let me give you two main connection points. Life groups 
in volunteer teams. Those are the most common. What is a life group? We have 10 or 15 people that are together. These meet in homes. They can meet in restaurants. They can eat in coffee, meet in coffee shops. They can meet here on the, the campus of our church. But these are people sharing their lives together. I love my life group. I love the people in my life group. That's important, to love the people in your life group. Be intentional with the people in your life group. These are the people that takes this big crowd and brings it into a smaller group. Let me tell you what we need this coming year. We need people to host life groups. No, we're, we're almost at capacity. We don't have places to put people. And some of you are so worried because I don't know what I would do. I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. Well, mentor, ready? Mentor, what's the next one? Ministry, maturity. So sometimes you're not going to be good at it until you do it. You got to do it. So some of you, we need you to host a life group. This is a, a, a pivotal point for us. This is an opening for people to be able to come into a life group, into a home, and discuss Scripture. We'll give you everything you need to be able to, to run a group successfully. We'll even give you a mentor to help coach you through it. Okay? The other one is volunteer teams. We have places to serve. Like if you're watching a live stream, there are people behind that wall right now running a live stream. There are people monitoring cameras right now. There's security that's happening on this campus. There are people that are serving coffee, making coffee happen. There are people that are serving in the checkout. There are people making sure that connections happen. There are people that come during the week to help clean this place. There are people that are help coming up with other ideas of things that we can do. There are people running ministries. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve and use your gifts to the church. And when you serve together, there's a bond that happens. Anybody agree with that? Some of your best friends, if you've gone on mission trips, some of your close friends have been because you've served beside them, right? Our church became stronger when we were all in here serving together, getting things ready. There were relationships and people meeting people that didn't even know that we, they all, you all even went to the same church because there's a bond that happens. And these are the two most important common connection points. But here's, here's a third. I'll give you a bonus on this one. The third one is actually a D group. That's what we call our disciple groups. These are three to five people that we train that you are intentional in a one-year commitment and we give you everything you need and you disciple one another, men groups, women groups separate, and you disciple each other for a year where you are in the word. I'm going to call some people out. If you are currently in a D group, would you raise your hand if you're in a D group? Because we, we experimented and launched some. Would you raise your hand, agree that this is probably the best thing you've ever done for your life? I didn't ask this question ahead of time. We're getting honest feedback. Anybody? You feel like your life's changed? Not because of the group, but because of these people are learning Scripture, quoting Scripture. They know it. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. This is what we're going to expose you to as a church this year. Because I believe that God wants to use us in an incredible way. But we can't look like everybody else. We're going to have to do it by the book and get in the book to do it by the book. You guys with me on that? I'll ask these on the back of your on the back of your handout. Here's your metric. I want you to find out where you are. Spirit-led follower. What scripture is currently shaping you? And what has your attentions, your thoughts, and your energies? However, you answer that question is going to judge where you are on that metric of discipleship. Am, am I a spirit-led follower? An intentional friend who feels like they can call me at 2 a.m. Who feels like they can call me at 2 a.m.? Well, if you're a student leader, they're getting calls at 2 a.m. anyway for random stuff. Um, like, my mom kicked me out of Netflix. Those kind of, you know, str struggles are real. Um, but who feels like they can call you at 2 a.m.? What relationships are you currently investing in? That's a good metric to find out. 
humble God, who am I helping take one step closer to Jesus? Who am I discipling? And then force for good, how am I living out my God-given calling and how am I leaving a legacy that matters? That's what we're going to guide our church on this year. You guys with me on that? Four things. That's all we got to do. But we, we're going to give you everything you need. You're going to have a full buffet in front of you. It is your responsibility to eat. I can't force feed you. Our, our leaders here can't force feed you. But I can promise you what we put on the table is the word of God and you will never taste anything better. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's where we're going this year. I am so thankful for every person in the room. I'm so thankful for every person that calls this place home. Because I believe that we, we are a very unique group of people with a very unique calling to honor God and to help, help people see who Jesus really is in this culture, to give them a new lens to look through. And you're going to be a part of it. I want our worship team to come up. Um, and as, as they come, we're going we're gonna to sing this morning as we close just a song of thankfulness um, and our gratitude because I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful this year of what God's done. But I'm telling you, I'm looking to next year and I'm believing. I'm believing for you. I'm believing that your best days are ahead of you. I'm believing that when you get to this time next year and you've worked on these four things in your life as a disciple, I believe next year we're going to have a completely different conversation because you're going to say, God got a hold of my life last year. Like I made a commitment today. It starts today. So what do we do with the gospel? We respond to it, right? The gospel demands response. So part of that response is we're going to stand so you can go ahead and do that. And we're going to sing. And whether you're on key, off key, on tempo, we're going to sing because he loves to hear his children sing. If you need a place to pray, we have a prayer station back here. There's some people that have gone through some stuff. You need some prayers. You may need somebody to pray with you. Go to the cross. We have communion, which reminds us that his body was broken for us. That's why we do what we do. And that's there. This is our response to him. So, Father, I thank you so much for these, these last few moments that we've had, God. I know it seemed long, but, Father, what you, what you have given our church is a great task to go and make disciples, to point people to you. It's never about us. It's all about you. And, God, we are so very thankful for what you've done here and what you're going to do next year. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.